we have too many ideas. Like we get 70 ideas before we get out of the shower in the morning, you know? So yeah. it really is, it's about filtering the ideas at this stage um, more than anything else, you know? Um. This is Tales from the Pros, where business leaders and influencers share their stories of inspiration, struggles, and successes. And I'm your host, Michael Giorgio. Hey everyone, welcome to Tales from the Pros, and this is Michael Giorgio, your host and co-founder of Imagine Ovation. My wonderful guest with me here today is a serial and successful entrepreneur. He is the founder and CEO of Crowley Carbon, and he was listed among one of Ireland's top entrepreneurs and was nominated in the 2011 Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. He successfully grew numerous businesses from startup to millions and annual sales, through effective business planning, creative sales techniques, and innovative marketing. He is a visionary and a great businessman known for his passion for excellence, integrity, and motivational leadership. And he is known to solve problems and provide a positive impact on our planet. Please welcome Norman Crowley. Norman, I really appreciate you being here with me today. It's, it's, uh, it's nice to be able to connect. You're in Ireland, I'm here in North Carolina, so this is, this is cool. <laughs> Technology, <Yep>. right? <laughs> Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, Absolutely. it's amazing to be sitting in the Dublin mountains, uh, looking at a, a crystal clear picture of you. Uh, so it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And it's, it's really, it's really nice to just be able to connect. And you know, these uh, we were talking a little bit before that you know podcasts give us these opportunities to to just be able to meet each other. Like now, I I can see you. I've met you. It's you know it's such an honor to meet someone like you and. And just be able to connect and, and build that relationship and for you to share your story is a it's an amazing thing so yeah thank you no complaints right <laughs> <laughs> no no <laughs> yeah. and nobody would care if we did complain so <laughs> yeah, you're right i know uh well you know i i did you know i i did a lot of research on you norman you have a, a really a really good story and um you know when uh i i know when your team connected with me and uh some of the things I read about you and saw some of your videos and presentations. And I think, I believe you have a, a very inspiring story to tell. And I love business storytelling. This is where, um, this is why we built this podcast is to, is to really showcase uh, business leaders stories and, and present their, their challenges and their successes and just everything that they went through. Right. And I think it's good to present that, the the true reality of what it means to build a business because i think you know right it's it's not all glimpse and glamour the cars or whatever it may be right it's not what you see on facebook it's 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 very real there's a lot of challenges and i've been through that you've been through that um at very uh, high level so uh that's what we want to talk about today and talk about your journey so um essentially norman how did you can you talk to us about what got you here today you know were you always uh, building businesses. I know in your 20s, you built some very successful businesses, right? And you were able to sell them. So how did you start that process? Yeah, well, I grew up in, I was born in 1970. So by the time I I came of age, I guess it was early to mid 80s. And my dad was a farmer working very hard, but there was never any money. So I don't know whether the trigger for business and entrepreneurship was, I think it was a combination of my dad being quite entrepreneurial because when you're working on a farm and you don't have much money, you fix everything yourself or it doesn't get fixed, right? So you have to be quite imaginative um, and he was quite imaginative. And then also we were poor all the time and so just getting you know, and we used to watch US TV, we used to watch like Dallas, and you would see these guys and gals with amazing Mercedes and huge houses. And we were, we had nothing, you know. And so you knew that there was another world out there where people made a lot of money. Um, and so, um, yeah, the burning desire started early to make money, have my own business. So I set up my first business when I was 15, which was a welding company. So I used to weld um uh, you know, farmers' sheds and stuff like that. And um, and so by the time I left school at 17, actually I left school on my 17th birthday, um, I already had like seven or eight people working for me. Um, and so there was a burning desire to really make money, get freedom. And 
the good thing about that was you did get freedom. If you worked hard, you got freedom at quite a young age. Like when I was 19, I was making more money than any of my mates. Like, and, and I was work, I was working harder than they were too, but I was, you know, we had more, we had cars when nobody else had cars, you know, <laughs> and things like that. Um, so it, it was paying off from a young age. Um, and then when I was about 20, um, I just got sick of the, you know, just the physical exertion of welding, like doing it every single day, same thing all the time. And so we were lucky enough to sell that business um, to a local property developer slash engineering company. And, um, and so I got a taste, I guess, at the age of 20 of knowing what it was like to sell a company and have a few bucks. Um, and I always loved technology and software. Um, and so decided to set up a technology company, not knowing much about technology or software, but liking the space a lot. Right. Um, and first of all, we built up a business that sold hardware. So we sold servers um, to companies and we set up uh, LANs, local area networks for companies. Um, and then in 1997, we discovered the internet. Mm. Um, and we became obsessed with the internet the minute we saw it, even though at the time the internet was slow and you know everything took a long time, but mm. we were just fascinated with the potential. And so, we pivoted the business to become an internet company. And uh, in 1999, we had about 170 people. Um, we had offices in the US and the East Coast and West Coast and across Europe. Um, and we were building corporate internet sites uh, for kind of you name it, um, big companies. And we were very lucky that in 99, the two incumbent telecoms companies in Ireland were both floating at the time. Um, and they were both being told by analysts that they needed an internet story because internet was the hot thing, basically. And so they both approached us at the same time to buy our company. And um, so we were lucky enough in May 1999 to sell the business for, you know, at the time, quite a lot of money, about 20 million bucks. Um, mm -hmm. And so at the ripe old age of 28, I retired. And uh, wow. so, but the mistake about retiring is if you're built to be an entrepreneur, retirement is really a mirage in the desert, you know, it's not real um, because you're built to work, you know, and I should have known that because my dad passed away a couple of years ago, but he passed away two months before his 90th birthday. And um, he uh, he was working up until a week before he passed, you know. So, oh, yeah. so the DNA is is about work, um, and so so I got when I retired for I just got frustrated over a couple of weeks, and I didn't really know why. But the truth was, I just wanted to go back to work, um, and so in two thousand we set up a company called Inspired Gaming. Um, and again, it was in a space we didn't know much about. It was in the gambling space. Um, what happened was I was in uh, London meeting a friend of mine who worked with a, with a betting company called William Hill. And I met him in one of the betting shops. And there were, as I was waiting for him, I was looking at the machines that people were playing. And these were like old slot machines like you'd see in Vegas 20, 30 years ago. And... I was fascinated that they hadn't moved to digital, you know, and I said it to my mate. I said, like, why don't you move these things to digital? And he was like, well, if you're so clever, why don't you build a digital machine? And I was saying, well, why don't people build digital machines? And he was saying, well, people wouldn't play them. And I said, but in Vegas, people play digital machines. And he was like, nah, English people are different. And I was like, I don't <laughs> think English people are different at all, actually. So... Not knowing anything about it, uh, we decided to build a connected digital gaming machine. And the first one we built was crap, uh, didn't take any money and broke a lot. And by version two, we had a machine that was taking kind of three times more money than any other gaming machine. And, um, and so that business grew incredibly quickly from 2000 um, to 2006. We went from zero to two and a half thousand people. Um, and we went from zero revenue to $500 million in revenue. Um, and so- Two and a half thousand, you said employees? Two and a half thousand employees, yeah. Wow. And we floated it on the London Stock Exchange in 2006, yeah. 
Um, so, and it became a global business. Um, that sector is called server-based gaming. And we were one of the inventors of that entire space, mm. server-based gaming. And uh, now every casino in the, in the world pretty much has a server-based gaming platform. And, um, and so then one of the kind of life-changing things happened in 2007, uh, we were public on the London Stock Exchange growing like crazy. And then an Icelandic hedge fund um, offered to buy the business for a billion dollars. And, um, and when somebody offers to buy the business for a billion dollars, it's impolite to say no. So we said yes. Um, and so that process took about six months, a uh, big transaction. And, uh, but as that transaction was happening, the whole financial world was falling apart. Lehman's was happening and it, the stories were just getting worse and worse but our what transaction year? what year was this that was 2007 yeah oh and just before 2000 yeah oh yeah and it like shit was just getting worse all year basically but and we thought the transaction would fall away but it didn't curiously um it you know everything looked like it was going to happen and so my business partner was going to stay in the business um i'd had enough of the gaming sector after after kind of seven or eight years and so i was leaving so literally when we signed on the dotted line i was gone the day after you know and then uh, so all the legals are done all, everything is done and we're just waiting for a phone call from the lawyers to go and sign and and that was it and the lawyer not the lawyers the buyer phoned and said uh it ain't happening we're done and Iceland was in big trouble. Every private equity company was in big trouble and it was all over. And so, so that was a horrible time because in January um, of 2008, we picked up the pieces, got back to work. And then there was a smoking ban in the UK came into force, which meant you couldn't smoke in gambling premises and smoking and gambling are pretty closely related. Um, and so it caused big problems for the sector we were heavily involved in the sector. So it was serious trouble. And the share price fell off a cliff because um, of the recession and smoking ban. Um, but then we slowly rebuilt actually. So we, um, by June, uh, we had won the national lottery bid for Italy for gaming machines. And we won another one in Brazil. Um, and we'd done some big deals and the share price started to come back. And it was just from December until June was the worst possible time, worse than you could possibly imagine. And, um, and then, uh, so the whole business came back. And then I woke up one morning in September and I couldn't feel my hand. <laughs> and um, and uh, I went to the dock and uh, they thought it was something quite serious. They thought it was in like some kind of neurological disorder. It was either serious or seriously serious. Yeah. Um, but it turned out that it was just kind of hyper stress. And at the time, like at the time I was about, well, in stone, I was 19 stone, whatever that is. That's about 300 pounds. And um, so I was a big boy and, um, and I was flying around the world. So I'd get up on a Monday morning, fly to London, from Dublin, uh, every third week fly to Hong Kong, do five cities around Hong Kong on a private jet, and then every twelfth week fly to Sydney, spend a week in Sydney, and then Lots fly home. Traveling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was grown up traveling, and um, and so I just had a bit of a realization of what the hell was I doing all this for. So I went to my business partner and I said, "Hey, I'm out of here," and we sold the business for a half a billion bucks. Um, <laughs> So he did a management buyout um, that went really well, actually. And so I left um, with a good bit of cash. And, um, and so then because you have the entrepreneurial disease, you, um, I, at that time, I didn't take any time off. <laughs> In fact, I was plotting the next business uh, for the last couple of months while I was, while I was in Inspired. And um, so then I knew that I was going to do another business. Um, but I wanted to have an impact in the world. I didn't just want to set up another business, um, you know, buying something for a dollar or selling it for two. And so, um, so we set up, I wanted to have an impact and the biggest impact you can have is climate change. Um, 
and because it's one of the most existential threats in the world, right? There are three existential threats, nuclear winter, which I can't really do much about. Mm. And the thing we're experiencing a mild version of at the moment, which is germs. And then the third thing is climate change. It's a scary, and, um, it's a scary thought. And yeah, it, yeah I, I, I love what you guys are doing, but oh yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it doesn't bear thinking about. And if you think too much about it, you become paralyzed. Mm. But actually, it turns out we can do a lot. Um, and so we started working on climate change. And cut a long story short on that, where we are today, 10 years later, we've got a big energy efficiency business called Crowley Carbon. So Crowley Carbon um, saves energy for some of the biggest companies in the world. So three of the top five food companies, seven of the top eight pharmaceutical companies, some of the biggest oil and gas companies in the world. Uh, this year, we'll save our customers about $150 million in energy. Um, and by, um, by 2025, we'll be saving our customers about $2 billion a year in energy. So... Um, and that's very much an engineering business. It's got some sexy Internet of Things software that tracks every single thing our clients do in terms of energy. Um, and then we have some businesses in our energy sector around that. We own our own insurance company that ensures the risk uh, that we don't hit our savings target. Um, and then we also have a financing group called Cool Planet Capital that offers financing if the co if the customer doesn't want to finance the project then we'll finance the project and um so that's our energy group uh, and then we have transport and in our transport group we have a bunch of intellectual property around electric cars so cooling technology that cools batteries but our most sexy thing that we do is we partnered with three of the top five car designers in the world and we're rebuilding their most famous car as what we call a hyper classic. So these guys built and designed these cars in the 60s, 70s uh, and Ooh. 80s. <laughs> and they could never build them perfectly at the time because the technology wasn't there. Um, and so now we're rebuilding, redesigning those cars with those designers as what we call hyper classics. And we're launching those hyper classics in September actually uh, in a major major announcement yeah so mm. and the purpose of that is to obviously to build some very expensive cars uh, and to make margin out of them but also to inspire if you think of you as a kid or me as a kid you always had a poster of a car on your wall right and imagine if the poster on your wall was a green electric car, but also one of the fastest cars in the world. So, so that's what we're building. Yeah. Um, and also a bit like Elon Musk, although we're, we don't ever want to build high volume. So we, you know, ultimately we want to build about 50, 100 cars a year. Um, obviously very expensive cars, but, um, and we're huge admirers of Elon, obviously. Um, but we want to use those cars to inspire the next generation as to what's possible, you know. And um, and also, particularly for the U.S. market, like people in the U.S. always go, "Oh, look, you can't beat your V8, right?" And actually, you can. Yeah. <laughs> you can. Yeah. You can. Oh yeah. You, and so, what people happens? People should tell yeah. Elon Musk that. I'm sure he'll have. Uh, <laughs> that guy's a genius. I'm sure he can. He yeah, can he's a genius. It all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we're huge fans of his, and 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 Tesla supply us with technology actually. That's um, cool. And so, so yeah. So the idea is that what happens if you show a dyed-in-the-wool muscle car freak a car that will absolutely mince any car that he can put up against it? <laughs> then maybe that person begins to think that the world is changing, and that yeah. and and that there's an opportunity in climate change. That and then the final conversation, yeah. Yeah. And then the final thing we do now is education. So we, in order to educate people about climate change and to give people a different message about climate change, because the message that we've been fed for 40 years about climate change is a real stupid message, basically. It's a message of, well, if we want to save the world, we have to sacrifice and we have to suffer. And in 2020, that's just not true. Like on every one of the serious climate challenges, energy, transport, food, 
this, this the modern solution and uh, the solution we have now is just far cooler it's cheaper it's cooler mm -hmm. it's better than the alternative like don't anybody tell me that a tesla is not sexier than any other car you can come across right um in terms of energy solar like yeah. the latest pricing on solar solar is cheaper than coal it's cheaper than it's cheaper than gas now and gas is pretty cheap um it, so, it, it really is a sexy thing if you think it is you're driving a nice looking car and you're yeah. you're you're playing yeah. a role in saving the planet but we just need of people to do it and then it'll be a yeah. big change yeah. So. yeah there's nothing sexier than that so and but yet if you listen to greenpeace and these guys it's all about who do we blame today you know it's the oil companies today it's the republicans tomorrow and so we felt that a new message needed to arrive which was let's not even discuss blame let's not discuss even how serious it is let's just tell you about the coolest shit you could possibly imagine mm -hmm. and if you get attracted to the coolest things you can imagine then you will you will move towards the light and we'll all save the world together and also there's a message for the kids, which is if you get into science, if you understand this stuff, then you can be part of saving the world. You can be the modern version of Tony Stark, right? Um, yeah. And um, and that's very exciting. But and it it amazes me that we have this message. This message sells very well. Um, we have a foundation that that sends this message out, and. And yet nobody else copies the message, you know, like, and that amazes me. Like I saw the latest version of our, our curriculum for 14 year olds this morning. And I was just laughing my ass off at this. Like this is the funniest educate, funniest, most exciting piece of education. Uh, I was just watching our team present this to me and I, I couldn't wait to see the next thing they were going to present. It was really exciting. You should, you should see what they talk about in business. It's so they're so behind yeah. it's not no, really there's no relevance yeah. at all no, it's just no no, no. no. even when my daughters were were in high school and they um and what they were being taught about business was just dog shit like you know and teachers had no interest in bringing in entrepreneurs letting the entrepreneur tell their story mm. you know heaven forbid that somebody would be inspired you know um it's very frustrating it is yeah, it's uh, you're you're so right, Norman, about that. The, the, there's such a lack of um, of accurate and real education, especially with all the youngsters now, and they're the future yeah. of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to educate them and tell them what's yeah. reality. You know, it's yeah. And even like I like Twitter. I like Twitter a lot. It's where I get a lot of my information from. But like I call it the hate box. Like every time you go into it, like people are just hating on each other all the time. And we have so many problems in the world to solve and so many opportunities to make money. What's the point in wasting your energy just hating on some other guy, you know, move on. I know. <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah, we keep, we keep thinking about talking about the problem and blaming him instead of actually executing a solution, right? Absolutely. You. you know, and, yeah. and I was going to ask you, Norman, with you and all the businesses that you started, um, I love I love all the ideas, all the concepts, and I could see how you sold them. And, and it's, it's, wow, it's, a, it's a really amazing story. And I love what you're doing now with Crowley Carbon because I'm an advocate for, uh, for environmental and I do believe there, there are a lot of environmental issues. I know you probably come across some people that don't even believe in it, especially yeah. in this country. Yeah. There, there are people who don't, yeah. Uh, yeah. but I believe in it and I know it's real and, and global warming does exist and it's a, it's a big problem and we need to work holistically together yeah. to try to, yeah. to, to try to solve it. You know, it's a, it's an issue and we yeah. have to, we have to attack it urgently. Yeah. I think the way you started is you appeal to people's greed. Um, you say, look, I'm just going to get you electricity. That's 10 times cheaper. Uh, you know, I'm going to get you food. That's 10 times healthier. That's half the price. And then let people decide and, and leave the, leave the rhetoric about climate change out of the yeah. equation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. To solve, sell the opportunity. Solve a problem in their home and then they're going to start uh, eventually yeah. going to be like, Oh, this is actually not bad. This is pretty cool. I'm saving money for my family. Yeah. That's right. Maybe I will believe in it. And even if they don't, yeah. they're subconsciously, they are, they are uh, improving the world. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's a great yeah. way to think about it. Yeah. 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 Or somebody says I, I wouldn't need a vegan burger. And then you kind of go, how about I give you a mince, steak mince, that's 10 times cheaper than the steak mince you're getting now. Uh, 
And they go, well, I'll take that. And you go, okay, well, now we're talking. <laughs> are, you, are, you giving, are you giving me a, a little hints on your next business? <laughs> uh, a little bit, yeah. I, okay. I, I, think I'm, I think I'm too late. We've been looking at food for a while, but I think we're yeah. too late, to be honest. I think, there mm -hmm. are, I think there are smarter, better people than us who've, who've delivered on that. Um, unfortunately, I wish we were just too busy on the other stuff when the food thing was coming up. Uh, so we're, we, we have a team looking at it, but I think we're too late. Yeah. And Norman, how, in your experience, how do you find opportunities and gaps in the market? Because I'll tell you that I've dealt with hundreds of startups and a lot of them sound like great ideas, but yeah. it's hard to know if it's an actual opportunity. How do you know if it's, it's going to be a proof of concept that's going to be adopted? How, what, was that something from your business intuition or did you do a lot of market research, competitive analysis, or was it just everything? How did you come up with these innovative creative concepts and figure out and, and be confident that you know what this is going to be profitable and it's going to solve a problem well we're never confident <laughs> yeah the only time we're confident is after we sell it for a half a billion bucks yeah <laughs> when we're when we're in it day to day we're second guessing everything all the time and we're completely paranoid um it's a mixture of we mainly want to build cool shit um, and we believe that if, if we build cool shit, then other people will like it as well. Um, so it's either that, there are probably three things. Cool, cool, like we're thinking, like I'll give you an example. Um, solar in the home, right, is well understood. Like Tesla have a great offering, blah, 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 right? But we, we wanted to install, so our energy business installs industrial scale solar, right? And, it's fine. It's a good business, right? I don't think there's anything different from with our industrial business than competitors in terms of solar. Um, but I wanted to install solar in my house, right? And so I got a guy in and I said, uh, can you just bang some solar up on the roof? By the way, like what happens during the day when it overproduces electricity? He's like, ah, you might need a battery. And I was like, yeah, can I buy a battery off you? He was like, no. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so I have to go to some other guy for the battery? Yeah. And then I was saying, and also when the battery is full, how do I get my car to automatically charge? Oh, you can't do that. And then can I use the electricity automatically to heat my hot water, uh, even if I've got spare energy? Um, and he was like, no, I don't think so. And I was going, so I got another guy and he was equally as bad. And then I was like, I'm going to get into this business because <laughs> this sucks, right? Yeah. And, and so we set up a home solar business that's growing like crazy that just answers all the questions that other people couldn't answer. And so what we always say is think of a problem that ultimately a billion people would be affected by, you know, and there are huge problems out there. Um, or think of a problem that's just really annoying, right? That you have, because if you have that problem, other people will have that problem too. I'll give you an example of one that we're not gonna do anything about, air travel, right? Like you go to the airport, you piss, you gotta go there four hours early now, right? TSA, crawl up your ass, right? Then you, you, get, to, you get to wait uh, in line everywhere, wait for no, everything, I mean, oh. right? It's a nightmare, right? And like, sadly now, I think the airlines are gonna pay the ultimate price for it, to be honest, because I think with COVID, we've discovered like, look at you and I now. Like traditionally, I would have said, hey, you look like an interesting guy. Next time I'm in rally, let's go for a couple of beers, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have that itch anymore to scratch. Like I'm, I'm chatting to you now, yeah. you know, if we, if we grab a couple of beers, yeah, you got your coffee <laughs> if it was later. If it's later in the day, we can grab a beer afterwards. Right. Like it's, you know, is it the same having a beer with you as having a beer with you in a bar? Not really, but is it 90% as good? Yeah. Or is it 80% as good? It's 80% as good, right? And I'll tell you this. And with the technology that we have, I think Zoom's coming up with all these backgrounds. I can have a nice bar background. That's right. I know we're good to go, right? Yeah. In fact, a couple of us during the proper lockdown, we had the exact same bar background. And after the second beer, I didn't give a shit whether I was with them in Dublin city center or whether I was at home. And the other thing is like 11 o'clock, you're finished drinking, you just fall into your bed, no taxis, no messing, right? So like, yeah, so back to the ideas, I think it's, 
cool shit. Um, how do the economics look? Is it a crowded space? Um, what do we have to offer with the skill set that we have? And then they come together. And our problem is we have too many ideas. Like we get 70 ideas before we get out of the shower in the morning, you know? So yeah. it really is, it's about filtering the ideas at this stage um, more than anything else, you know, um, to come up with the good ones. I, I, by the way, I know this is a cliche, but I don't think it's about the idea. I think it's about the execution of the idea. Absolutely, I agree, 100%. Yeah. Any, anyone can have an idea. Yeah. Anyone yeah. can, anyone can, they can dream, right? Can but do those dreams yeah. become reality? You have to put in the, the hard work and the strategy and everything mm -hmm. incorporated mm -hmm. into it to mm -hmm. execute. And, and by the way, that bit is, you know, you were saying it in the beginning, that bit's crap most of the time. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you're selling to people who don't want to be sold to, you know, you're, you're getting, you're trying to build your team, which is horrible because for every amazing person you hire, you're going to hire people that are less than amazing. And then you got to make them become amazing or get rid of them. You know, all that stuff sucks. Right. Mm -hmm. And because you're having to let somebody go, you've got a bit of a relationship with, and you don't want to let them go, but you have to let them go because you don't have any cash and all of that is horrible, you know? And, uh, and then people say, well, it's fantastic when you sell the company and you can buy a yacht. It's not because when you sell the business, you miss it because it's like one of your kids, you know, and you miss it. You wish you never sold it. You, you know, you wonder whether you could have got more money for it. So, you know, it's, I think you have to find a way. And I think I found a way to be happy in the shit, right? Because it's generally shit. Um, and what we've learned over the years is just to be happy waking up in the morning and doing the stuff that's boring and a bit crappy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. You know, I, I, I know we were talking about LinkedIn a little bit before and, and uh, I put a post on LinkedIn about this, that you need to appreciate and embrace more of the process than the outcome. It's about the journey, not the outcome. You know, yes. and a lot of studies that are a lot of scientific studies that, um, that were made on the brain in regards to are you happier when you actually um, achieve your outcome rather than be happy during the process? And there's not yeah. much difference no, because no, no. what happens is when you, let, let's just say you sold that company, your company for a billion dollars. That's great. You're going to be happy for a little bit or you're going to, it's going to be in the brain. It's going to have, you're going to, all the you know, you're going to be, um, you know, getting all this, um, I don't know the scientific endorphins. You're getting endorphins. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And essentially you're going to be happy for a little bit, but is it, are you joyful? You know, it's just, it's not long term. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's weird. It's instant gratification, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they measured the endorphin levels um, of people gambling. And what they discovered was you would have thought that peak endorphin was just at the point when you win, right? But actually, peak endorphin is just at the point when you lose, <laughs> um, not when you win. Because when you win, you get an endorphin hit, but it's over almost yeah. immediately. And so likewise, you know, it's very similar in business. The thing that I've learned is, and I never thought I'd say this, is I learned how to meditate about three or four years ago. I got headspace. That's great. And yeah, and I, I ended up meeting Andy Puddicombe who founded Headspace through a friend of a friend and he's amazing actually but I learned to be happy at, at 36 years old I learned to be happy okay. and so I can you know so like every day I sit in front of Zoom from eight o'clock in the morning until seven o'clock in the evening um, and I and I work kind of six days a week and I'm just happy all the time because <laughs> it's like it's mainly interesting shit right and yeah sometimes you're giving out to people and having an argument but even that it's just as long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing you can be happy you know yeah you got to do what you love i, I don't know how I, have you ever met other uh you know ceos or business leaders that they're very successful but they're doing things that they hate and i wonder yeah. if they're doing that do yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you see them as happy or no are they, do you no. see a difference they're miserable well, like I, i'm lucky enough to have met probably 20 billionaires in my life and two of them were happy yep <laughs> the others were very concerned about who how much money everyone else had and uh, and who was doing what and who was trying to steal from them and all that shit, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, particularly and there was no more and more, right? There was once yeah, yeah, yeah. more, 
Yeah. Not, not wishing to knock New York billionaires, but I've never met a happy New York billionaire. Those guys are completely paranoid. <laughs> I don't think I've met a happy New Yorker. Uh, some of them are till then. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say that because my fiance is actually from New York, but it's okay. I can there see you. There you go. There you go. But, um, we had an office in New York in our previous business. I used to love going there because we would do some work during the day, but we always ended up in a really cool vodka bar by about four o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to do there. Yeah, it's it's a. Yeah. But you know what? When when I go there, it it's it's so. I think it's good to go there for a few days and maybe you know you know go go have fun there. There's a lot to do, a lot to see, but it's very stressful. Like the environment, yes. it's, it's it's you know it's just too much. It's not. It is too much. I, I couldn't yeah, live there. Yeah. I don't know how people have the no. dream of living there, and I'm like, yeah. How would you want yeah, to live yeah. there? It's very stressful. Yeah. Even I was there. Um, I was there a couple of months ago before COVID and I was running along Battery Park. It's a Battery Park, the one by the river, uh, Hudson yeah. Park. And uh, it was like eight o'clock in the evening and people were, were running on conference calls. <laughs> like, and so their lives were so busy that they couldn't even go out for a run uh, without being yeah. on a call. And you're like, uh, I think COVID has forced everybody to reassess, including me reassess what the hell they're doing you know and priorities and i think that's been a good thing it's pretty much a i think of it as a reset on the world absolutely Lots to reprioritize yeah. our lives and, and figure out what's yeah. important and what's not important because mm -hmm. you actually get time to think you're not on you're not driving on the highway to go to work you know I mean, people, yeah. especially here in the u.s with all the traffic they're spending hours yeah. a day on the road yeah, yeah. i'll tell you a funny one about that so my life pre-covid was a week in ireland a week in Europe uh, and in a week long haul. So long haul could have been Australia, US, South America, whatever. And that was my life for the last couple of years right now. And I didn't mind kind of, you know, and, uh, and now I'm not going to fly for the rest of this year, even though we can, we just don't need to. Um, but also I've become obsessed, like our office, we have a very cool office and it's about 12 minutes from where I live and mm, nice. there's never any traffic, right? <laughs> Cause it's, it's just too close. And, uh, and I've become so obsessed now with the time wasted between travel and like flights and all that, that I get people to come up to the house for meetings. I'm kind of going, I yeah. like, if I'm going to meet you in the office, I got to go there and then I got to come back. So that's a half an hour. Or if you just meet me in my house, we can save another half an hour. And so your output, your output just goes through the roof, you know? And so yeah. you could not get me on a plane now for love or money, you know, um, like no interest, you know? And it's the same with our teams. Like we're just saying to them, find another way, like don't get on that plane, like find another way of closing that deal, you know? And people do find another way of closing it, you know? So and, and, and you, you can imagine I'm not investing in a lot of airline stocks at the moment. <laughs> I don't think anyone is or, or cruise lines. I don't know what's going to happen with all these. No. It's no. There, there's so many things changing. There's there's going to be new emerging trends happening and a lot of. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I, I think that this is my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like the last however so many years I, I can't put a number on it but at least the la last five ten maybe maybe even more than 15 years there was a a huge lack of human element in business people are very you know it's it's just been very like um at least here where we are it's been a lot of technology but there's just so much automation happening and all this kind of yeah. stuff and, and i think that with with covid um, like we talked about, it's, it's allowed us to reset and to regroup and think about what's yeah. important to us, like our families and our close friends and all of that. And it's, I, I believe, I'm, I'm hopeful that the human element is going to be incorporated back into business where we can start trusting each other more because before it was just very much about money, you know, and power. Yeah. And I'm hoping yeah. that will start to start to decrease um, yeah. Because, of, yeah. because of all these challenges that everyone's going through, like holistically yeah. together. So you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, it is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree with you on a lot of the reset. I think some people will still be obsessed with money and speed and pace and all of that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's a, it's a nice thought. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, Norma, with all the companies that you have built and even now with, with um, your energy company, how are you scaling it? Cause I, I found it, you know, for me in growing and growing Imagine Ovation, 
and all the companies I've spoken to, it's always very difficult to scale. And do you think scaling is really about the financial aspect of it or is it more operational or is it everything? Is it, how, 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 did, how did you scale your companies from zero to hundreds or thousands of people and still, um, I mean, I don't know your finances, but assuming you were profitable and you, you did sell mm -hmm. them, how, how did you, how were you able to accomplish that? Um, well, it, it, it's such a big question, right? So you yeah, can you can expand in a couple of ways. You can expand on by doing acquisitions, and by doing acquisitions is an entire skill set in itself that you could write a book on. It's about patience. It's about buying at the right price. It's about either buying at the right price or buying the right team, you know. And uh, and then if you're not growing by acquisition, you're growing organically. It's about it's all about building the team and building the team is a certain amount, it's, it's about luck. Um, a lot of people say it's about proper interviewing techniques. We've tried every interview technique known to man and we, we still can't seem to get the right people through interviewing. <laughs> um, yeah. So the only solution we came up with is fire fast. So we're like, we have a three month probation period. We're, we're communicating with the new person all during that probation period. Before they start, we warn them that this is our style. And then if they don't perform in the first three months, they're gone. And so, and that has proven to us to be the, that and kind of the performance management that goes along with that is the best thing. But you gotta have, it, like so many aspects of business, you gotta have huge courage, right? Because you gotta communicate clearly what you want like um and then all along the way and then if it doesn't work out you got to pull the trigger and it's horrible firing somebody is yes. the most horrible 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 thing the only thing worse than not firing somebody is having your business fail because you're too afraid to fire somebody you know and and so that's one of the keys but there you know business is is actually there are so many things that you have to get right from hiring product management marketing like i learned more about marketing in the last six months than i knew my whole life you know <laughs> um just because digital uh, podcasting yeah. <laughs> and but digital marketing has become so sophisticated now oh, and right. and linkedin and all of that and it's taken a lot of the stupid guesswork out of selling actually um which is fantastic and i didn't know any of that up until this year, you know, um, my style up until then was fly on a plane, go and see a guy, do a deal. Um, whereas there's so much opportunity out there now with digital. And so, but yeah, I think if there was one thing about expanding and scaling and scaling is not easy, right? But if there was one thing, it's like, get a great team. How do you get a great team? Fire the not so good people really fast and you'll eventually whittle down an amazing team. And you actually, as a CEO, you don't need that. Like you need probably four lieutenants who are seriously, seriously good. And once you've got four lieutenants, then they will, they need another four and they need another four. Right. And, um, but it's the one thing that I notice other companies doing a lot is tolerating mediocrity in their teams. And we just have no interest in that. Like, um, and what happens then is if you don't tolerate mediocrity, you get an amazing culture of, of just determination, goal-focused, hard-working people, and then just reward those people extremely well, um, because they will, they are the the alchemy, you know, because they will keep they will keep going and they will do what you do, and therefore, why wouldn't you reward them for that? And you're probably you probably also look for a lot of integrity and accountability, right? You need you you don't want to be able to hold their hand. All you know you know sometimes you've had employees where. You always have to be on top of them. That's for me, yeah. that's been the worst. It's yeah. someone that you know, once they, once you know that they have the skills and they're trained, you can yeah. trust them that they're going to do their job. You don't, and yes, you have to manage them. Of course, that's what managers are yeah. for, but you don't have to yeah. sit on top of their, on that every, all the time, you know, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, one of the key things I learned this year, uh, we have a shrink in our company now, Simon. And uh, so we're like, we got that clue from Billions, you know, that TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so we decided to get our own shrink. And, um, That's cool. Yeah, I know. And he's, he's brilliant. He's amazing, actually. And he, I worked with him a lot this year on ways that I very subtly sabotage the business, right? So what are ways that my past and my upbringing caused me to sabotage something? And one of the things I learned from that is that 
the more secure you can get in yourself, which has to do with meditation and working with a shrink or whatever, it, then the better you are at delegating. Because there's two ways of delegating. You can say, hey, hey, Mary, I want you to take a glass and I just want you to fill that glass with water, right? Or that's one way of delegating, right? And then like you said, you can sit on that person and say, is the glass full yet? You know, all that. Or you can go to Mary and you can say, Mary, I want you to solve the entire water problem for this company. And this is the effect that that's going to have on the company. This is the area I want. This is why I want you to do it. Now, I'm just going to check back with you in a month, but I trust that you're going to do that. Right? Now, there are two ways of delegating, right? One way, you don't have to speak to that person for another month. And then when they come back, they will either say, it's solved, or they'll say, I fell at the first hurdle on day one, right? And then you can explore what happened there and you can try and fix that. But if we're ha still having the discussion about filling the water on month three, then we're probably having a different discussion. Mm. So it. a lot of it goes back to who you are as the boss and how secure you are in yourself. Because the thing that makes us a shitty boss is us trotting out all the insecurities uh, about us to the other people right so the more secure we can make ourselves the more effective we're going to be you know yeah because you have to they look they're going to look up to you yeah right they're going to look and, up to you, the leader of the company yeah. so if you if yeah. let's just say yeah. the business for example let's just say the business is not doing well um yeah. and you're depressed and you're upset and all this you don't want to show that in the office right because then you're gonna they're gonna their productivity is going to go down and that's right you're gonna lose a lot of good people and then it's really going to tell you you know, and also um, they're going to, um, you know, they won't look up to you unless you're a secure person who's not looking for attention, who's not insecure, all of that kind of stuff, you know. So, um, you know, it's in one sense, it sounds simple. On the other hand, people spend years meditating up on top of mountaintops because they can't figure this out. Right. So, um so it's it really isn't that simple it's a life's work for most people you know yeah and and you know norman with with um especially with this company and and the past businesses when you scale and i'm talking more financially uh it do you have advice on at least this is this is good advice for uh for businesses that are already established and they are trying to scale and and grow in sales and marketing and all that but in order to hire people do you think your sales should always exceed your expenses or sometimes it doesn't work that way sometimes you're gonna have to make smart investments on people do you think your sales your your profits should always be higher you should always have a buffer yeah it depends you on how you're funding so yeah. if it's a brand new idea and it's got deep intellectual property then you need to get that funded separately right so then it's all about burn rate it's about raising the money in and then making sure you don't uh, burn it right too fast, obviously. Um, and so, but then if you're self-financing, um, then obviously you can't overspend. Um, but any decent person I've always hired, I've always worried that I can't afford them. Um, mm. You know, and I've always lost a lot of sleep because I hired them, right? Uh, but like if they're the right person then they'll be paying for themselves very quickly if they're the wrong person get rid of them fast right um and uh but it is i've like and the other thing one of the keys to that is hire the person you can't afford so if you say look i need a salesperson and i can only afford sixty thousand bucks a year well can you imagine if you hired the right person on 120,000 bucks a year like can you imagine how much faster they would sell and how much better they would sell and um, that that doesn't mean the person on 120,000 a year is any good right and what i try and do um is i try to um i try to spend a lot of time with the person before i hire them so i i try to hire people i can't afford and then i spend a i find excuses to spend a lot of time with them before i hire them right there's a book actually, there's a really good book called Who, and mm -hmm. uh, it talks about the hiring process. And it's a short book, but it contains all of the key things about hiring. But one of the things is, like let's say you wanna hire a new sales director. Um, like sale, the failure rate on sales directors is notoriously high, especially nowadays, because you're looking for a sales director who has experience in digital marketing, but can get on with the client and also has technical expertise. 
Because before, you just needed a charming guy or girl who could take a guy out to dinner, right? But that day is gone. Nobody wants to go out to dinner anymore, right? So it's a mixture of technical expertise, numerically very astute, digital marketing capability. That's a tall order, right? So that person, even in a startup, is going to cost 150, 300,000 bucks, right? So that's a big risky hire. So what we try and do is find an excuse to meet them and then meet them again and meet them again. So go for drinks with them, you know, go have a coffee, bring them in, get them to do a presentation for you and let that process take 12, 14 weeks, right? Um, and get to know them and see if you're friends with them and, and they can work with the rest of the team. And any glitch in it, right? Any, like there's a mate of mine once said about re checking references, right? He said, um, if you're checking somebody's reference, right? And nobody gives a bad reference, right? No. So, yeah, if the, <laughs> I was thinking the if same the person, thing. And if the, so if the person giving the reference goes, there's just one little thing about them, right? That person you're hiring is a raving psychopath, right? Because <laughs> the person is so bad that somebody giving a reference felt they needed to say something, right? <laughs> I remember once, I, I remember we hired this, uh, someone years ago and we called one of the references and he says, yeah, no, he's perfect. He's, he's, uh, he's really like, I have no problem, never had an issue, never, I'm just like, uh, and we hired him. But it was, mm -hmm. you know, it was, yeah. yeah, we've had, a, we've had, a, we made our mistakes too many times. It, it's a part of the process. You just learn. I, I think it's easy to say, but have high standards, you know, have high standards of yourself and then insist that other people have those high standards as well. Right. If you have high standards for yourself and respect your time, and then you demand that other people do exactly the same, then that solves a lot of problems, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And what so were, it's easier said than done. And, and yeah. I, by the way, I don't think we're perfect at it. In fact, we're not perfect at it. Yeah. <laughs> we're always, uh, we're, there's always a lot of room for improvement. Right? You just got to learn, learn from yeah, mistakes. Learn from mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I heard, I heard a hilarious one about Elon Musk this morning on a podcast, actually. And um, he, they were testing the rockets. And at any rate, a rocket, they were trying to land the booster and it didn't land properly, it landed sideways. It was the world's biggest explosion. And he was going out looking at the wreckage with the board and they were trying to be philosophical. You know, They were saying, ah, you gotta learn from your mistakes. Look at Henry Ford and all these guys. And he just said, given the two options, learn from your mistakes or get it right, I'd rather just get the fucking thing right. <laughs> and so, I think it's philosophical that we can learn from our mistakes, but I'd much prefer not to make them in the first place. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Have you, have you uh, been able to meet Elon? Or uh, yes, yeah. Uh, I'm quite good friends with Richard Branson and I'm, I'm less friends, but I would, you know, I've met Elon a couple of times, yeah. And how, how is he, how is he, is he, he very, uh, is, he, is he warm or just very black and white and, uh, he's warm, but he's yeah. mainly, his brain runs, his, the processor in his brain runs four times faster than mine. So like, he's always got another idea. He's always busy. He's always focused as he should be actually. Um, and he's got a heart of gold. And what amazes me about Elon is how people misunderstand him. You know, when we look back at 50, in 50 years time and say, this guy was, one of the biggest reasons why climate change got sorted, one of the biggest reasons why we're a multi-planetary species. And then you say, and how did we treat that guy? And the answer is we treated him like shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and any chance we got, we maligned him and made a joke out of him. That's a shocking indictment of the human race, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like, you, I don't know, do you remember the Joe Rogan podcast where he smoked a joint? Yeah. So that was one of the most insightful podcasts I've ever seen. In yeah. fact, I thought his, his second podcast with, with Joe was better, but, um, but I thought that one was pretty insightful. And all people could smoke, talk about is how Elon smoked the joint in a state where it's illegal to smoke. It was funny. Illegal to yeah. smoke. And I, I like, like Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, so it's, I, love it. I love watching yeah. this. It's yeah, yeah, really yeah. Funny. yeah. I, I think Joe's podcast could be shorter, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the people he gets on that show, I, and you know he's uh, Joe is 
And I think he signed the deal with Spotify. Yeah, hundred million allegedly. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Hmm. So you'll be in another three or four years. You'll be selling this one for a hundred million. Yep. <laughs> I wish. I love your confidence, but none of us are confident, right? <laughs> no, no, no. But you know, uh, it's it's the medium of the future. <laughs> it, it is, and I, yeah. and I love yeah. it. You know, it's it's good. Yeah. Um, you know, Norman, what were some of the biggest challenges and this i really want to touch on this because i think people need to hear it what were some of the the most challenging struggles or obstacles that you went through in your career i know the the i know the time of the bill the billion dollars uh, fell through mm. but were there any really tough times where you felt you know i, I don't want to do this anymore or you just it was it anything mixed yeah. personal or life or anything like that Look, every year, we, I will lose 30 nights sleep over the business, <laughs> right? over yeah. one of our businesses. And so there is no easy year. And people look at it when you've, when you've made a bit of money, people think it's easier. It's not easier because it's not easier. And people say, well, it must be easier because in the end of the day, you know, you'll always have money. But actually, when you have the lives of the people that work for you and you have that responsibility. Like if we screw up in one of our businesses and we have to shut it down, then a whole lot of people have to pay the mortgage and their healthcare the week after. And that's, that's terrible. Right. And that's mm. not acceptable. And so, so, and then it's every aspect of business comes into play. Right. Um, so when you're in your very first startup, it's selling, selling is really difficult because you're really shit at selling then marketing is difficult because you don't understand marketing. And so it's, it's every aspect, selling your first business, raising money your first time. They're all things that you have to learn, you know, and they're all difficult. Uh, and you can have mentors that will help you with some of it or some of it comes naturally to you, but then the bits that don't come naturally to you are awful and, and they, you will lose a lot of sleep over them, you know, and, there, in my view, there are two ways of making money, right? You can work for a corporation. And, and I know some very rich people who've just worked for corporations all their lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's stressful too, especially as you get yeah. more senior. Um, or you can do startups. And startups are a real bitch. Because <laughs> they, like my kids don't want to do startups. Because they see what it takes out of me, you know. And uh and they don't ever want to put themselves through that. And I like the fact that they don't want to ever put themselves through that. You know? But it's, it's a kind of disease that I, I don't think the entrepreneurial journey is entirely a healthy mental process. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's uh, like I, I'm here now in Ireland right now. It's 10 past six in the evening and I'll do another three hours. And, and I haven't needed to work since 1998. So, is that an entirely healthy pastime? I should be hiking. <laughs> you not? Do you ever take vacations? I'm sure you you have to take some vacation. I right? take vacations, but I work when I'm on vacation, and because um, I don't see, I don't see what I do all day as work. I find our car business fascinating. I find our energy business fascinating. So I spend time with the family, and other than that, I work. Yeah, and I because I don't see work like I yesterday was Sunday. I worked from 11 until six. And if you said to me, was that work? I was like, didn't feel like work to me. You know, I, I was learning a bit about stuff. Yesterday I was learning all about precision fermentation. Right? And so, <laughs> which is gonna feed half of the world in another 10 years. Oh right? And so, so is that work or is that just, you know, learning, right? Um, who knows? <laughs> it's, it's a mix of both because it's going to impact your company but it's also your learning and your you know yeah. you're, you're gaining knowledge you're yeah i think it's yeah. a win-win i think it's, it's a win-win too you know if you're sitting you there you, you do you gotta love what you yeah, do Yeah, you have to love what you do absolutely and, and and that's not just you know people might listening to the podcast might say well how do i find out what i love what i do right my answer to that learn how to meditate right and then when you learn how to meditate, which only takes eight days um, and doesn't cost any money, um, then when you're meditating after eight days, so when you've learned 20 minutes a day, eight days, then ask what you love to do. Right? And 
your own mind will answer the question what you like to do you know and uh and if you can do what you love then it's not work it's just you know it's a great way of passing the time yeah <laughs> i love it i love it so i always ask this last question okay and this this has to do with your story so norman if you had to define your story in just one word what would you what would you say what's what's your uh, story in one word it could be, it could be career it could be life whatever what, i'll let you decide yeah um yeah i don't know it's a tricky one one word is very tricky <laughs> um look it's ultimately yeah one word to describe it uh success yeah i thought you were gonna say uh courage yeah but, well if you say what it takes to win that's a different word yeah if yeah you describe true. yeah um we we have values in our group and one of them is we are brave yeah mm. and people think that's that we take kind of crazy business risks right but that's not what it means what it means is if you have to sit in front of somebody and tell them that they're not going to work in the company anymore and and you have to tell them that but you also have to tell them the real truth why uh which involves talking about them and their failings that takes courage right, right. um or yeah and so yeah what it takes to what it takes to succeed uh i i would think courage is a good word yeah that's good yeah no, it's, that's yeah i think that's uh yeah it's interesting i i because maybe maybe i'll start asking that <laughs> i like that <laughs> but you know what no it's it's good because you you define your you've had a lot of success there's nothing wrong with that that's great I and mean, you've had success in, in your career and that came with a lot of hard work and treating people right and having integrity and just never giving up. So the, the ultimate definition is success for you. And some people like for yeah. me, I, I think for me it would be perseverance. I just, I've always, I just yeah. like to keep continue moving forward. I don't give up. You have to persevere. You have to persevere, you know, um, nothing comes easy. Definitely not. Yeah. 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 So, and if nothing comes easy, then you might as well enjoy it. <laughs> so I think the, the bigger key is figure out how to enjoy it because it's not going to come easy. Yeah. Figure out what you love. And I think that can sometimes be tough. I, I know a lot of people that struggle. They don't even know what they want to do in their, in their 30s or 40s. They, they're like, I don't even know. What am I, why am I working in this job right now? What, I don't, what do I, what do I want to do? And I'm like, yeah. you have to sit back and just, you're right, either pray and, and meditate, yeah. uh, take, yeah. you know, take a step back and breathe and, and figure out, how, get some mental space, like you said, and, and, yeah. and, and get away from all the clutter and distractions. And I think, You'll probably get a lot and, more and that's clarity. a practice you know if you're religious then pray um but praying is a practice right if you're like oh, yeah. i noticed that muslims pay pray eight ten times a day right and it allows them time to just get into their mind um and if you're christian we were raised catholic and we would say the rosary and mm -hmm. the rosary is 20 minutes you say it every night but guess what the rosary is a meditation and uh, oh, yeah. and it allows it teaches you how to be happy um but it doesn't teach you in two days like you need you need to keep at it every day uh and um it's like so many other things you can't you can't cheat the gym and you can't cheat meditation right? consistency it's it's with everything's consistent i've been I, every morning when i when i wake up i do 30 or 40 push-ups um you know i go take a shower and i always pray every morning first thing every yeah. morning yeah it's yeah. just yeah. i've been doing it for, for over 10 years you know it's just yeah. a consistent so yeah it's a practice and, practice and you know in in the world of winning in business like you find i don't know of anybody who's properly successful who doesn't have those practices you know they do they're in the gym they're meditating or they're praying whatever it might be you know um they're key to the whole thing like you can get away with it for 10 years and you can sell a company and make a shit ton of money but if you're going to do it for 30 years you better have some tricks <laughs> I wonder what Richard Branson's is uh is like you got to, he's you got got a couple. he seems he's like a such a nice guy. Yeah, very nice he meditates. Guy. He meditates a good bit. He does a lot of exercise, you know. Uh he manages his time very well. Yeah. And he has very high expectations. Yeah. So did he ever um, try to invest in any of your businesses? Richard? We don't have a problem. I, my relationship with him is a non-investor one. We don't have um we thankfully we don't have a problem 
getting investors, you know. Uh, Richard, it's more, uh, we are aligned on things like climate change and what needs to happen in the world, you know. So, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, brilliant. Awesome. Hey, listen, well, it's, it's been good to chat. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. Thank you so much. And, and uh, where can everyone find you? I know you're uh, on LinkedIn, you said, and if you want to yeah. um, talk about your LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn, website. definitely. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Norman Crowley1. Um, I'm on, um, our website is coolplanetgroup.ie. So we're, we're headquartered in Ireland. So it's coolplanetgroup.ie. Fantastic. Or CrowleyCarbon.com is, is our energy division. So, yep. And happy to, happy to chat to people. Yep. That's good. Well, Norman, I, I really appreciate it. Man. This has been amazing. And um, it's been uh, honestly one of my favorite interviews. I've learned a lot from this as well. So this is cool. And uh, you're Thank the you. first, uh, first Irishman, I think, I have <laughs> interviewed. So, so yeah. Uh, yeah, we uh, popped that cherry. So that's good. <laughs> um, We're good fun. We there you go. Yep. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your time. Very, very honored and humble for you to take the time and speak with me. And um, thank you, everyone. Yeah, thanks yeah. For, for listening. Keep, and, yeah. Keep, keep on hustling. Yeah. I will. Definitely will. And, and I know people will learn, learn from, this, uh, from this episode as well. So, but yeah, I appreciate Norman. And um, thank you, everyone, for listening. This is your host, Michael Giorgio from Tales from the Pros. And until next time, thanks, guys. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also follow our social media. Uh, there are links somewhere around here. But uh, we really appreciate it, guys. Thanks for all the support. And I'm going to be giving you awesome content continuously. And we look forward to seeing you soon.